Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ocil. Marca Mesut Ocil. Disparo de Bellerín. Gol del Arsenal. Marca Bellerín. 5 a 0. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. How's things? Not too bad, to be honest. Uh, I was up very early this morning. It's Monday morning. I was up about five, six o'clock. No, no discernible, re no discernible reason, no strategic reason behind it. Just suddenly sat bolt upright. Here I am. So I feel like. I feel like this has been an uneventful Monday last far. I'm, I'm waiting for it to get going. I'm itching to get started. Right, right. It could be the fact that the mornings are getting a bit brighter and, and obviously then that has an impact on, on when you wake up and how you're able to get up. I'm, I'm a much earlier riser or a much better riser in the summer than in the winter. There you go. Interesting. Yeah. How are you this morning? I'm, I'm okay. I've got a cup of tea. I had to go and um, jumpstart my brother's car. That was fun and exciting. That's very manly of you. It is. I've got, you know, he had all the cables and stuff, and I just sort of pulled up, and he did all the watsits and what, whatever. Nice. Know. Yeah, so that was that was the most exciting thing that happened to me this morning, apart from having some porridge. So hmm. It's a big day for everyone. It really is. It really is. How was your weekend? It, again, I mean, absolutely fine. Uh, you know, classic... The crazy gunner blog lifestyle, went to a couple of parties, went to Leicester, um, was spotted having a Nando's by a fan of gunner blog. No way. Uh, yeah, somebody <laughs> tweeted me saying, uh, are you in Leicester? And I, I hadn't replied. And then they said, another one saying, pretty sure it's you, hope you enjoy your Nando's. So then I was very self-consciously eating my Nando's right. for the remainder of the meal. You know, I have um, never eaten a Nando's. Really? No, Never. Fascinating. Are they? I mean, do you have Nando's in yeah. Ireland? I don't mean to sort of seem, you know. <laughs> we have roads now and and running yeah, water okay. and things like that. And, and the internet, clearly. Yeah, and Nando's. Uh, we do have one in, in the city centre. And I've looked in the window a few times and just thought, this looks very fucking expensive for chicken and chips. Chicken and, ch chicken and chips, essentially, mate. And I, I do, look. You, hey, I love chicken. And I love chicken and chips. And you know, I'm I'm not dissing chicken in any way. It just feels like. It's it's overly expensive to me. Maybe I mean you've got. I've, I will reiterate. I was in Leicester, so I didn't want to take any risks. There was a buffet place opposite, which was a global buffet. It had every different type of cuisine. But I thought that's not going to be good, isn't it? They've, they've diversified too far. Yeah, exactly. Chicken and chips is simple. Yeah, they, they spread themselves too thin there. You know, you you know when you go into a restaurant and they have pasta and pizza and steak and fish and, you know, they have like a multitude, one of those restaurants that has pretty much one of everything from everywhere. You're going... This was it. Yeah. This was exactly the vibe. You don't want to uh, eat in there because there's no way that they're any good at any of those things. They've been average at all of them, but not good at any of them. I also think pictures of food are a bad sign. Pictures on the menu always never turn out well. It's never it never looks like the picture, mate. No, it never does. It's it's quite the art, food photography, you know. But are you are you aware of um Nando's bewildering ordering system? No, I have no idea. Why? What is it? Well it it's it's unusual. You get seated at a table yeah. and then you go up to the till and order and pay there. Right. Then they bring you the food. But then if you want more food, you can order it when they bring you the food. They ask you if you want anything else, and then they bring you, like, a second bill, potentially, for anything extra you've ordered after that How point. do you know if you want more food before they've even brought you the first food? Well, what's the, this? It's, it's, it's baffling, to be honest. But it's, you know, it's, it's quite efficient. I quite like not relying on a waiter to come and take my order. I can just go up and pay, and then it's coming. Well, then, then you're hostage. For example, this chicken I had on Saturday, I paid for that chicken, and then I was waiting and waiting for it. And in other, in other restaurants, I would walk out in fury, saying, I've been sat here 40 minutes, there's no chicken. You, hang happy. on, hang on, hang on. What? You, you had to wait 40 minutes for a chicken from Nando's. Yes. Like, what the fuck? What else have they got to be doing other than having chicken ready for, for people they when they come They already had my money. They had my money. They knew that I was I was held hostage for this chicken. This sounds like a big load of fucking bullshit to me. What the fuck? Like, if you're going in and it's a, essentially fast food, right? 
They're not they're not plucking the chicken there as you it's choose not. it. It's not like one of those where you go, oh, over to the lobster tank. Oh, I'll have that particular chicken. He looks a, he looks a tasty one. I'll have him. And then they well, I bought my and- own chicken and demanded they cook it. But it's it's it is fast food, but it's not like Hector Bellerin fast. It's like. Joel Campbell fast, like a bit fast, but not really fast. I would suggest, uh, James, with all due respect, that waiting 40 minutes for some chicken and chips is not very fast at all. It's not Hector Bellerin fast. It's not Joel Campbell fast. You know, it's not even Per Mertesacker fast. Oh, oh, there's my door. God damn. Every time. It's that Nando's I ordered you. <laughs> Hang Two on. weeks ago. It's just arrived. Hang on. I'll go see if it's the chicken man. was posty so right well look it was posty and it was, did he have with him a half chicken with spicy rice and macho peas no or? he didn't he didn't what he did have was a an assurance that he wasn't bringing me any more election material like oh, because we've got the general that. election here on on um on friday okay and uh you know we have a, i have a thing on my um on my letterbox which says no junk mail and no political flyers because basically i think democracy is a load of bollocks and uh, I don't like any of the politicians, so fuck them. And I can expand on the whole democracy thing at another stage. But he said he's not bringing me any more of those because they pay for him. But he has given me a box addressed to Arscast Arscast at my no. address. Yes. Are so you going to open it now? I think we should, no? We have yes. a live, a live on our opening, yes. Guys, imagine if it's a letter bomb. Or a chicken. <laughs> Right. I'm so excited. Oh. Oh, actually, I see what it is. Um, I, I don't know if this is going out today, but there was a new uh, new sponsor-type thing coming on board. Um, I didn't get any uh, update as to when exactly it was happening, but basically it's this um, this company called Cornerstone who mm. do, like, razor blades and shaving and stuff like that, and they've sent me a shaving kit. And oh. and if I'm right here, I have got uh, a brand new razor with my initials engraved on the handle. Wow. The initials Arscast Arscast. No, it's or a, your a, actual initials. A M, A M. So there it is. Right. Yeah. So uh, there may well Amazing. be an ad if you're in the UK today. There may well be an ad in the middle of this podcast for this particular service. I'm not sure if it's starting, so I don't know if I can mention it yet. I mean, in a way, this is the, this is the the greatest ad of all. It certainly is. It's like it's like uh, what, what do they call it? Uh, native advertising Placement. or branded content or one of those yeah. like buzzword uh, things. But yeah, it's, it's quite a good quite a good razor. This, um, but okay. yeah, you can find out more details as and when. So look, it wasn't a chicken, and waiting forty minutes for a chicken is a big load of shit. I, I'm sorry, I'm not. You're not selling Nando's to me at all. I don't feel like I can go. Uh, in any good conscience Fine. to Nando's in Dublin City because I don't I don't have 40 minutes to wait for a chicken. I just don't. It's a, it's a wide old road that chicken's crossing if you're waiting for it on the other sure side. Sure is. Uh, well, what about what about waiting 90 minutes for a goal? Ah. That's a seamless link there. <laughs> we waited ages and ages and none yeah. came. So... Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, and we'd all paid for our tickets. We were held hostage, waiting for that goal, and there was there was no goal to be had. Yeah, no, nor any nice hot peri peri sauce either. No, I mean you don't tend to get that in the middle of football matches. You um, will eventually, won't you? On yeah. your prawn sandwich. <laughs> uh, yeah, imagine like going in at half time, waiting forty minutes for your Nando's half time, and then you come out and you've missed most of the game. And who's to blame for this? Portuguese people and their chicken. Portuguese and South Africans. I think it's started in South Africa oh, are they? by I Portuguese. It, I th- it is Portuguese, but I think it was the Portuguese community of South Africa who started Nando's. That could be made up. Please don't quote me on it, anyone. Right. Ever. Okay. All right. Well, look. Okay. Let's let's talk about the game then. Um, and Nando's sponsoring this podcast because I don't talked about them a lot. Well, they should. I don't know if they'd be essentially very happy with what we've said about them. 
That's true. All yeah. publicity is good publicity. That's not true, is it? People no. say that, and it really isn't true. No, no. There are there's some publicity that would be very bad publicity indeed. Mm, Depends how uh, willing you are to overlook that. If you're an absolute, you know, if you're a completely shameless person, um, you know, then any publicity is good publicity. But you know, if like you know, most of us, you have some modicum of uh, decorum and shame, then it would be bad. But look, the game, nil nil. We had a ch- we had chances though. We did have chances. We didn't take them. No, we did not. Um, I don't know what to say. I mean, obviously, the goalkeeper did that magic thing where he played pretty well, right? He did play pretty well, but I'm you know I'm tired of us making goalkeepers like that. And I, I don't mean to be in any way disrespectful to him because he had a good game, and I thought this the save from Joel Campbell was absolutely excellent. The fingertips because that ball was going in had he not had he not touched that. Uh, and I, thought the, I thought the one from uh, the deflected Welbeck shot was yeah, pretty good. That as was well. good as well. But you know that was it. The rest of them were mm. fairly routine. I reckon we could have made those saves if we'd been in goal. Not I don't you know, know. You're not much of a goalkeeper. I'm, I'm terrible. I'm terrible. Slightly scared of the ball. Yeah, no, that's going to happen. But <laughs> um, and I've got the broken wrist, haven't I? So I've never really oh, recovered. Oh yeah, weak hands. Weak yeah. hands. Weak hands. But uh, yeah, we didn't. I don't know. I mean, it's the, the the quality, the nature of the chances we created, they weren't, I don't know, they weren't as clear-cut as they might have been, you know? I don't think we were that effective in moving the ball around in the mm. final third to create opportunities where beating the goalkeeper was easier, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I do know what you mean. Like, we did have shots, and uh, but none of them were absolutely stone-cold goals that should have been goals. No, there was no one who I was angry at, you know, for missing. Yeah, I thought Oxley chamberlain could have done better with that chance that she oh, knocked yeah, down yeah. to him, and I thought maybe Walcott should have done better with the chance that he was presented very early in the second half. Mm. thought probably he should have done a bit better with that. I know the ball was sort of rolling across his body and what have you, but he was, what, eight yards out. Maybe he could have done a bit better there. But overall... You know, it was one. It was a weird game, wasn't it? Because Hull were like, "No, we don't want to replay. We don't want to replay. We're resting all of our players. We're trying to get promoted back to the Premier League. The replay is the last thing we want. Let's park the bus. Park the bus." Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Exactly that. And strange strategy. You know, they picked a, a very, as we did, a very changed side. Mm. Almost tempted to. Almost, it sounded from Steve Bruce quite after the game like they wanted to lose. They wanted to be out and focus on the championship, mm. and yet put together a, a fairly decent, I suppose, defensive display. Um, and it's a pain in the ass, isn't it? Because now we've got to go to Hull, which feels like a relatively tricky fixture. You know, in a month where we've already got a very, very hectic schedule. Yeah, I guess it does. But I suppose when you look at it from the point of view of the players who will play in that match. Uh, there'll be a lot of rotation because it looks like that game is going to take place the week uh, between the Tottenham game. And who do we play after that? Uh, I'm just going to get it up here. I mean, I'm just going to get up the website here. Boom, no boom, problem. boom. Okay, so, uh, yeah, the, the only place it can really fit, because we've got Barcelona tomorrow night, which we'll come to, Manchester United on Sunday, then a midweek game against Swansea, then a game away at Tottenham uh, on on the Saturday, and then... Yeah, it's the quarterfinal of the FA Cup the following weekend. So what could happen is that if we play that replay, we're going to have to play that replay probably on the Tuesday. So that's Tuesday the the 8th. And then Saturday the 12th is a quarterfinal. So we would play Watford if we got through that game, meaning that the Premier League game scheduled against West Brom would have to be put off or rescheduled for later in the season. Um. So it, it does get pretty hectic, and given that, you would you would expect that uh, for the replay, it's going to be the fringe guys. It's going to be some of the young players because uh, yeah, I don't think he'll have don't think he'll have much choice. Yeah, I mean, there's some talk that the Swansea Arsenal Swansea game might get moved. I don't know what's going to happen with the replay date because actually, currently Hull have a Championship game scheduled as well in that week before the fifth round. Oh, so, do they? Yeah, they've got a game against Brentford. So it's going to be really tricky. Basically, the, the FA, the broadcasters, uh, probably the Premier League and the two clubs will have to do a bit of haggling mm. to figure out when that game's even going to take place. Yeah. 
because um, yeah. their schedule is as busy as ours. Yeah, it certainly complicates things, but you know that's part of uh, part of the FA Cup. People were uh, people were talking this week about replays and whether they mm. should be scrapped. Um, Arsene Wenger wasn't too keen on the idea. Replays have been a fixture of of FA Cup football for for as long as I can remember. Now it used to be a case that. Um, you would just have replay after replay after replay. I think in in the modern age, uh, you have a replay and it will go to penalties and and, uh, and that, won't it, after one replay. Whereas before, I remember we played Liverpool in the 80s, late 70s or the 80s, we played Liverpool four or five times. Um, Sheffield Wednesday, wasn't there? Yeah, there was Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, Yeah, so there um, were a lot of replays. So it does complicate things, but, you know, it's part and parcel of the game. you just got to get on with it. I don't suppose we can really give out about it. Um, you know, it's down to us that we're not through to the next round. So uh, if anyone's to blame, it's us rather than the the rules of the competition, which we all know before we start. What did you, uh, I mean, what were, what were your conclusions from the game? Was there anyone who stood out, anyone who thought, you know, put themselves in contention for the Barcelona game with a good performance, anything like that? Um, I don't know about that. I liked I liked watching Iwobi again. I, I'm I'm quite excited by him. I have to say, and Arsene Wenger had some very nice things to say about him after Michael the game. Kanu had some nice things to say about him as well. Yeah, he did. He said uh, he's the future of Nigeria, and we all love him. That's he is the star we are looking for, like yeah. one of the wise men. Yeah, I've seen him up in the sky. I think I think he he is a really exciting young player. I think it is that we've talked about him before, but the simplicity of his game is actually, in some respects, what's most appealing. Mm. He just seems to make great decisions consistently in the final third. Yeah, um, but I don't think you know that's going to throw him into consideration for the Barcelona game. But I thought he did well. I thought uh, I thought Danny Welbeck looked quite lively actually on his first start back. Yeah. Um, what, what did you make of uh, El Neni, a second look at Mohamed El Neni? Yeah, I thought, you know, solid, consistent, some some decent passes, a couple of, you know, tasty shots. Um, I'm still, if I'm honest, trying to figure out exactly where his strengths lie, but maybe that tells you a bit about him. I think he is a guy who's quite versatile, who can operate in a, mm. a number of roles, so he's a little bit difficult to pin down. Yeah. What did you think? I thought he was quite good, actually. I thought there was a little more ambition to his game than in... Mm. Then in his first outing, obviously he was he was a bit conservative and wanted not to make any mistakes. Uh, I didn't necessarily agree with with Robbie Savage, which will come as a, a no surprise to anybody. But when he was going, why are they playing two holding midfielders? And I didn't really think he was playing as a holding midfielder per se. No, I thought he was more of a link man between um, Flamini, who was <laughs> who was cropping up in the box like. Really early on in the game, it was hilarious. There was one point where somebody played a little, a really nice reverse pass into the path of where you thought Welbeck might be or at a push Monreal might be, sort of down the inside left channel in the box. And all of a sudden, hang on, it's, it's Flamini. What's he doing there? <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> Super Flam! And, um, you know, uh, what was it? Yeah, so I think Al Nenny was was sort of positioned between um, or, or trying to make up for that. So if he was sitting deep at times, it was because Flamini was going charge. Um, but no, I I I quite liked him, um, and I quite liked the way that that he used the ball and looked to make things happen. And and uh, you could see sometimes he was looking and it, there was nothing on, so he he played it a bit safe. But I like the fact that he was that he was just looking. So. Um, yeah, he seems to have good sort of. Um, I mean, this is a classic trait, I suppose, of any central midfielder, but a good awareness. Like uh, there were a few times where he had players uh, right on his back, and he was able to turn away and you know find an outlet, find a, a ball away from pressure. Um, I thought, you know, I thought he was he was decent. I thought he was decent. Mm. Uh, just trying to think if there's anyone else really who. No, I mean it was that sort of a game. Nobody. I had to yeah. do the I had to do the player ratings for for Ars blog, and I had to do player ratings for ESPN, mm. and I pretty much gave everybody six. It was like that right. that sort of a, that sort of a thing. Apart from Iwobi, who I gave a seven just because uh, I like him and I like what he tries to do, uh, and I like the fact that he's obviously really growing on the manager. Um, over the course of this season, he's now part of the first team squad. He's integrated into the first team dressing room, first team training all the time, and I think that says a lot about uh, what, what the manager sees in him. I think so too. I mm. think so too. So he's definitely been one of the the bright sparks of a, this cup campaign. And you know, we're sort of used to in the domestic cup seeing a, a raft of youngsters come through, a little clutch of young gunners. But with so many of them out on loan, that's not really been the case this season. It's he's sort of 
the sole guy, isn't he, who's, who's made that breakthrough, mm. you'd have to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what about, uh, and of course I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not apportioning blame to the referee for the result, but what did you think mm. of the two penalty incidents? I thought they were both penalties, if I'm honest with you. I, yeah. Uh, not a huge surprise to see Mike Dean not give them. We've certainly uh, been down that road before. Mm. But, um, yeah, I thought I thought the handball was, uh, what's the phrase that the pundits will often use? Unnatural position, you know. I, I sort of kind of felt that he threw his arm out in a way that didn't need to be there. Yeah. Uh, if that's not a handball, I'm not really sure what is anymore. It's, it wasn't like the ball was that close to him when it was struck. Um and the trip on Callum Chambers, I can see that's a difficult one to see. I could see that from a certain angle that might look like the player had taken the ball, but in reality, that was a foul. Did you agree? Yeah. Yeah, I thought both of them were penalties. Uh, the first one, you know, sometimes you can see why they're not given, but he definitely, you know, moved his arms. You know, the, the people who say, well, his arms are by his side. Yes, his arms are sort of by his side or a little bit out from his side, but he then moved that arm into, into the path of the ball. The second one, um, even if the referee didn't see it, maybe the, the, uh, the referee's assistant should have seen it. Uh, it was definitely yeah. a foul. He didn't get any of the ball. The fact that he came away with the ball is pretty much irrelevant because the only reason he got the ball was because he fouled Chambers, um, not because he made a really great clean tackle in the box. Although I will say that watching it in real time, as it happened, my first thought was that, oh, that's a very good tackle. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what I meant about the referee's position as well. I'm not sure it was clear from where he was uh, that it was a foul, but you make a good point. The assistant surely had a, a, a clearer view of it, and, and probably ought to have uh, ought to have alerted mm. the senior official. Mm. So nil nil. Bit no, we, go again. we go again. We go again. We have to go to Hull. Yeah, look, we've gone there and won. Um, recently. We love playing Hull in the FA Cup, don't we? We can't get enough of it. We've played them three times in three years, and we want another one. Yeah, it's like we want double Hull. We do. And what do you make of the draw then, potentially, should we make it through? It was, uh, it could have been worse. I don't think Watford oh, yeah. are a pushover by any means. Um, but certainly in terms of the teams that were left in it, uh, you know, it could have been worse. We could have got, uh, we could have got Chelsea, could have got Everton, could have got Shrewsbury Town. I, th- I think it's a very, 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 f- well, I think ultimately any, uh, any home draw is has got to be a good thing, right? Mm. Yeah, you completely okay. missed that gag, didn't you? Oh, I did. Yeah, sorry. I was. Was it good? <laughs> oh, Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury. Yes. They play. They play Manchester United tonight. I mean, is that a gag? I mean, look at how United are playing. Hey, you know who's you know who's starting up front for Shrewsbury Town tonight? I don't know. Oh my God! Yes, I do. You do know, don't you? Your namesake. Yes, Andrew Mangan is starting for Shrewsbury. Apparently, he was on Soccer AM at the weekend. You have been busy, you didn't yeah. mention that in night no. around. <laughs> well, listen, listen, you know, I like to keep my uh, media yes, appearances I'll... under the under the radar. Okay, okay. Well, keep hiding your light under a bushel. Mm. Um, uh, that is exciting, isn't it? I've sort of, I mean, I've got my little Shrews- Shrewsbury kit on. I'm going to be watching that. Desperate for, well, am I desperate? I quite like Manchester United under Louis van Gaal. They're sort of enjoyably calamitous. Yeah, but, but um, would you not be worried that, you know, yet another bad result for Manchester United tonight would then spark some kind of seismic change at at United, manager gets fired, and then they have this, hey, we've got a new manager, or at least we've got rid of the old guy that we clearly can't stand and aren't playing for. Like, I would prefer yeah. Van Hal to be in charge uh, of, of United, to be honest. Come Sunday. Yeah, that's probably you know? true for next for this for next weekend, yeah. Mm. Um that, I mean, you know, that'll be a fascinating game, especially if uh, Van Hal is still in charge. He'll be in big pressure to, to get some sort of result there. Yeah, yeah. As will we. Oh, yes. Well, of course. Of course. And obviously, you know, what, what, what's going to happen tomorrow night, which I think we're, we're going to address more in the second half of the show and the questions part of things, mm-hmm. um, you know, c- could well have an impact on that. So, yeah. Exciting times. Exciting, Exciting times. times. So anything Thank else you. stand out for, from the weekend? Uh, honestly, no, no, not a game <laughs> that uh, provided me with a huge amount of inspiration. Do you know um, what my favourite bit of the game was? The end? No. <laughs> Apart from that, it was right up there. But no, my favourite bit was uh, I think Hull had a free kick out on their right hand side. Right. 
Guy stands over it. Ball comes in. Whipped in a good ball. Their, their, um, their set pieces were quite good, I have to say. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Ospina, he sort of, whether he gave a shout or not, I don't know. But he just kind of stood there. And I just imagined him standing there with his eyes closed. <laughs> and he, he made this sort of punchy motion towards the ball. Like he wasn't even jumping. He was just standing there and he did this two-fisted punch, which was, I don't know, about six feet away from the ball in the end because Koscielny came in and headed it away and I think it ended up as a, as a whole corner. Um, that was amazing. <laughs> what, what, the, what the fuck was he doing? Well, was he just practising punching an imaginary ball? Is he, that what was happening? It looked like it when you see the replay of it. He's nowhere fucking near it. Like, nowhere. He's got no way of getting that ball. I mean, it's way too high for him anyway. And he's just standing. He didn't even... He just stood there and just put two two fists up in the air. Like... Incredible. And, yeah. So that was a good bit. <laughs> I enjoyed that. I like those moments of comedy in a game, you know? Yeah, that's it. You need to look for the, the little things. Find the joy in, in a relatively down nil nil draw with Hull. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, look, will we leave it there for part one? Let's leave it there, yeah. Okay, and we'll be back with your questions in part two right after this. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is the part of the show where I make a bollocks of the intro. <laughs> I like this bit. Yeah, it's good. Uh, yeah. It is the part of the show where you send us questions on Twitter, at Arsblog and at Gunnerblog. And also, I've branched out today, James. Mm-hmm. I, I, I started a thread on the Arsblog Facebook page. No. So it's facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Because sometimes people say, hey, I don't do the Twitter thing. But everyone does Facebook, don't they? Because soon Facebook wants to take over the internet from everyone. You've opened a portal yeah. to a dangerous, dangerous world. So oh, there, I can see it now. Yeah, so there are some questions on there too. So we might uh, we might take one or two from there. You never know. You never okay. know. Okay, all right. So look, I think this is going to be, this particular part of the show, fairly Barcelona heavy. Because lots of people have questions about Barcelona and obviously we're playing them tomorrow night. It's a big, big game. Uh, people have lots of opinions about whether we should try hard or whether we should just like just not bother and all those kind of things. So mm-hmm. let's let's get going, will we, with with questions related to probably what's going to be happening tomorrow night, more or less. Okay, let's do that. Okay, uh, shall shall I go first? Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay, uh, let's have a little look. All right, this is a, this is a good way to start. <laughs> oh no, uh, Subash Manandar. He asks, what would the scoreline have to be against Barcelona for you to be confident that we will advance to the next round? You mean after this first one? Yeah. Right. Um, I don't know. That's a really 10-0. <laughs> yeah, something like that. 5 or 6-0. But of course, that's, you know, that's not going to happen. Um, I do think it's probably going to be tighter than some people think. Right. I think it is. You've been doing some scouting, haven't you? You've been watching this Barcelona team. Yeah, I, I've come to the conclusion that they're quite good. Right. Yeah. Okay, that's, uh, that's alarming. Yeah, years of watching football has, has led me to believe that they are quite good indeed at football. Actually, um, I'm going to get up a, a thing here um, from our By ESPN uh, colleague Tom Adams, Tom Eurosport. Mm-hmm. He's at Tom Twitter. Eurosport. Okay, so here's um, here is <laughs> the stats that we've got for this front three. Right, since Suarez made his debut for Barcelona on the 25th of October 2014, Messi has played 77 games, scored 76 goals, <laughs> and made 30 assists. Mm. Suarez mm. has played 80 games, scored 66 goals, and made 36 assists, and Neymar has played 73 games, uh, 52 goals, and 22 assists. Mm. I think that's mm. the very de- definition of quite good. I think that is quite good. I mm. think that is quite good. I think, uh, yes, we'll have to... Uh, I, don't, I mean, what we? I have no idea of what to say to that, almost. It's <laughs> terrifying, isn't it? It is. I like, feel yeah. a bit sick. I was on, um, on the radio last week uh, on, on Sirius, and they said... Uh, 
So what? So what do Arsenal have to do to stop this Barcelona side? <laughs> and I was like, I'll, I'm fucked if I know. I didn't say yeah. that, but you know that was essentially the gist of my answer. Like, if if I knew that, I would I would certainly tell Arsene Wenger how I to do it. I think if you knew it. it, you'd be making a living telling Arsene Wenger. <laughs> or doing it for, you know, uh, just be like a, this uh, rotational manager. Who are Barcelona playing next week? We're, we're This guy's our manager for the week. He knows how to stop them. Yes. Um, it is terrifying, isn't it? Just ridiculously terrifying. Uh, it is quite, yeah. I don't think we've ever faced such a multifaceted threat. We've faced teams, you know, with one outstanding player who has been capable of tearing us apart. Um, some players have had an effect like Kryptonite, honestly, you know, think people like Drogba, even Ronaldo to an extent, but mm. to face three three players of that calibre at the same time, I really have no idea how that... I mean, every time they get the ball, I'm going to be violently sick, I imagine. You're going to be very, very popular in the press box tomorrow. Very popular, very popular. Indeed. Uh, everyone, uh, everyone with their vomity shoes. Let me throw this out there, though. Okay. I'm going to be the devil's advocate. I'll, I'll try to catch it. I'm going to be the devil's advocate here. Is it, can you have too much of a good thing? No, it's, it's not. And I don't okay. think you can. Because, okay. you know, whatever whatever good things you have, I think you should always have more or want more. So okay. I'm, not, I'm not down with that theory at all. Well, what I was going to say, they are amazing footballers. The three of them are individually outstanding. Collectively, they've got this understanding, this trio but is there perhaps a case to be made that that the Spanish league is is a bit weak in the sense that you don't see these numbers from any other team or is it just that these guys are so good that they make it happen and Ronaldo is so good? I don't know. I mean, the thing is, I think the, probably the truth is somewhere between the two. You do hear all about when players come over from La Liga there is this kind of culture of, uh, especially if they come from one of the big two clubs, like, oh, is this an easy game this week? Do we have to take it easy? You know, can we afford to take it easier? And the answer in the Premier League is stereotypically no. You know, every every game is a genuine test, a genuine close encounter, which could go either way. Mm. You don't necessarily have that feeling with the same regularity mm. in La Liga. Um, so maybe you're right. Maybe there is a, a greater gulf in class, but... You know, if you think about Luis Suarez's achievements in the Premier League in his final season at Liverpool, he was still scoring at that kind of ratio in English football. So I think, mm. uh, you know, I, I don't think that that is any slight on their talent particularly. I just think maybe the numbers are a bit more distorted than they otherwise yeah. would be. Yeah, I think they just score fucking everywhere, <laughs> wherever you play yeah, them. Yeah, no, that's the thing. You yeah. know, I don't think it's... I mean, I think there could be an element to that, but also I think they're just so good... That you, you can't really suggest that it's because you know these are these are top players in in uh, in the Spanish league and you know lots of them come over here and play very well for clubs here. So I just think they're they're just unbelievable. I mean, I have no idea what we're gonna do. Do you think defensively? I mean, we've completely gone off the question. But had Gabriel Palista been fit, do you think he would have stayed in the side for this game? Or do you think Mertzaka would have been brought back in eventually? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess that would have depended on how Gabriel did in you know the last couple of games. Um, I I don't know. Here's a question, though, right? Um, and a number of people have asked who's going to play up front and who is going to play on the right-hand side. For example, Ahmad, uh, Alas, uh, Al-Salman49 wants yep. to know... Who would you rather start up front and why, Giroud or Theo? So let's let's start with that then. Who do you think is going to play up front? I think it's going to be Giroud um, based on form predominantly. But I would say, if you think back to... I mean, I know it was a, a different time then uh, and Walcott was good. But if you think back to earlier in the season, this is a match where playing Walcott through the middle would have suited the strategic setup we had then. Mm. You know, I think back to, was it the Bayern game I'm thinking of? or I yeah. can't remember, actually. He played was up front where... for uh, for the Bayern game. He started up front in the Bayern game, got taken off, and within two minutes, Giroud scored the goal to put us 1-0 up. Very true. And then, But also the Manchester United game is one I think mm. of. I don't know. I just wonder if this is a game where we're going to have to see possession to a, a certain extent that... Will it be about playing on the counter and Walcott's pace might be a useful weapon? So I can see the debate there. The, the option Giroud gives you, of course, is that he enables you to 
go more direct. And if 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 we're worried about Barcelona's pressing in midfield, he potentially enables you to bypass that by giving you a, an outlet in the air, which they might not be as accustomed or as comfortable dealing with. Yeah, I mean, it is a tricky one, isn't it? Because you can see all the reasons for playing Walcott in the sense that uh, if we can break and hit them on the break, then yes, he's got he's got that pace. But at the mm. same time, I think given how much of the ball they're going to have, we really need somebody to be able to provide us with an outlet. Somebody who can hold up the ball, somebody who can protect it when it does come forward. And I think Giroud is, is better in that sense. So he might be the guy who can help us relieve pressure. Okay. Mm. So would you consider playing Walcott anywhere else in the team? Would you consider playing him on the right, or would that be too much of a risk? I think, given the way that their fullbacks overlap and how switched on defensively the wide players are going to have to be, like, it was amazing watching them uh, at the weekend. You know, they ping a ball 60 yards over the top for Danny Alves, who just chases beyond the, the, the winger and the midfielder or the, the fullback, puts in great crosses. Same with uh, Jordi Alba on the left-hand side, Messi finding him and finding those runs. I think we know that Walcott's defensive, the side that, that side of Walcott's game is not his strongest, right? Mm-hmm. So that, for me, would be a, a big risk, which takes me to another part of the question, which is, you know, who's going to play on the right-hand side? I'm just seeing if I have one here. Boom, boom, boom. Did anyone ask that? Did, did, I've got, I've got okay. uh, a couple. AFC underscore Steve, who, also, who's at Kingsley underscore 77, says, do you think there's a chance Ramsey will play on the right mm. with Cochlan and Flamini in the middle? And yeah. there were a couple of other suggestions. You know, I think uh, Nick Holland uh, suggested maybe El Nenny and Cochlan in the middle yeah. with Ramsey on the right. So a few people asking about that. What, what's your take on that one? But, yeah. I can see why he would consider that as well. Um, mm. The worry, the worry that I would have there, right, is that Ramsey, when he plays on the right hand side, cuts inside and moves inside quite a lot. Under instruction from the manager, that's the way that he wants him to play, uh, because it allows Bellerin uh, room to to overlap, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so I worry maybe we might leave a bit of a hole there with Ramsey on the right hand side, but. It wouldn't surprise me if he played him there and did something like Coquelin and Flamini or Coquelin and, and uh, El Nenny. I don't think he'd play El Nenny yet. That would be a big, big... See, I'd be worried about Flamini, though. You know, if it was if it was perhaps Coquelin and a, a really fit and in-form Mikel Arteta, somebody like that who's much more able to control the ball when we have it, then I'd be more inclined to go with that that midfield duo. I I just wouldn't trust Flamini in midfield against Barcelona. You know, I like the idea maybe of playing Ramsey on the right hand side, but I think it's dependent on having that other midfield option. You know, if it was if it was Coquelin and Cazorla, I could definitely see him play Ramsey on the right. But as it's not, and as Flamini is you know prone to to wandering, as we know. I think he'll go possibly with Oxley Chamberlain, just to provide that that cover and that bit of pace and what have you down the down the right hand side. There are genuine decisions to be made. I mean, obviously, playing Cochrane would would free Flamini up to break forward, you know, into that goal scoring role that mm. he so loves. Um, I actually, I almost think if he probably had a you know three or four more games under his belt, Danny Welbeck would be in contention for a start in the wide positions because he does offer you that work rate and defensive cover as well as that pace on the uh, break and attacking threat mm. I just think it's come too soon for him um, I, I think Arsene will be really tempted by the idea of Ramsey on the right I, d- I don't think that Oxlade-Chamberlain's done enough in the last few weeks to really guarantee himself a start Oh sure I, I agree with you I'm just trying to think what the manager might do Yeah but uh, it's not I, I also agree with you that Flamini and Coquelin's not necessarily the most convincing partnership you know mm. at, at the base of the midfield I think not having either of Cazorla or, or Wilshire available to come into that deep playmaking role makes it very tricky. Um, I think I, if I was to bet on it, I think he might go Ramsey on the right with, with Coquelin and Flamini, but mm. it, it's a toss-up, really. Do you think Joel Carroll's got any chance at all of coming in on that right-hand side? Because he does get through some work defensively. He does. I mean, defensively, he's very switched on. He had a great moment um, in the in the game against Hull at the weekend. He chased all the way back and made a really great tackle. Um, 
maybe if he's looking for sheer work right down that down that side, and just you know would worry that he doesn't necessarily combine with Bellerin as well as mm. as we might like. They tend to. I don't know. They tend to stagnate, or they, t- you know, you, D- Bellerin doesn't seem to be at his most dynamic when he plays with Campbell. Mm-hmm. So I would worry about that. And given that Bellerin uh, has pace and is one of those players that we could use to try and break against Barcelona, then yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't see it. I don't see it for Campbell. Hmm. Okay, it's a tricky well, one. Yeah, it is a very tricky one. I mean, lots of other people. I'm seeing if I can find an example. Um, I mean, Ivan Erzl at Mesut Wenger mm. asks, uh, will Barca be able to cope with our counter-attacks? Is, do we have any choice but to adopt a sort of counter-attacking strategy in this game? No, I don't think so. And I do worry that maybe our counter-attacking is not very good. Well, it's not what it was, certainly. No, you know, it's... Um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about having Walcott in the team, isn't it? Is that you really do have that, that counter-attacking option in terms of sheer pace. Like, uh, Bellerin is fast, Alexis is fast, Ozil is quite fast, but really there isn't the blinding pace of, of Walcott there, and I think maybe that's what you really need to, to counter-attack well. So I think it's going to be about soaking up pressure and then trying to apply a bit of pressure on them. I mean... Th- you wouldn't say that they're weak defensively in any way, but what you would say is that that is not the strongest area of their team, right? And they've got no. great defenders and hugely experienced, uh, you know, uh, midfield. Uh, look, they're not weak in any in any single way, but they're much stronger going forward than they are at the back. So you've got to think our chances of getting something from the game are about making life uncomfortable for them at the back. So what do you do? Do you stick Giroud on Mascherano? You know, that kind of thing, if Mascherano's playing at, at centre-half. I mean, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that we could get something from this game. I mean, we've got to score goals, right? Mm. Because we don't want to be in a position where we're going to the new Camp needing, I mean, I mean <laughs> needing to score. I, I, You know, we never really put a number on that thing of what, what would quantify a, a good result or what would make you feel any Any kind of win would be a good result for us. You know, any kind of win. And if we can somehow keep a clean sheet, then all the better because we saw how crucial away goals are. Um, if you think back to that, that game when, when Bentner missed, did you see Mascherano saying that tackle changed my entire career? There was a great really? clip of it. Yeah. If you look uh, at the timeline of Sid Lowe um, from The Guardian uh, over the weekend, he posted a, an amazing video of the, of the chance presented to Bentner. Um, Late on in that game, was it the, was the one when Van Persie was sent off, wasn't it? Benner had scored, we were going through. Yeah. And uh, Mascherano, he takes a terrible touch and Mascherano gets gets a, a touch on the ball and, and pokes it back to the goalkeeper. Um, and there's a sideline video, Guardiola is standing there and Wenger is standing there and Guardiola just, just sort of gives a little and claps his hands and Arsene Wenger is like, just falls to his knees going, oh my God, I can't As believe... we all did many times watching yeah. Nicholas Benner. Yeah, but, you know, uh, that that shows how close that particular game was, and that came after the, the win. And I was just curious to look at the team that we played that beat Barcelona five years ago. Barcelona at that time were uh, an outstanding side. Here was mm-hmm. their lineup. Valdez, Alves, Piquet, Abidal, Maxwell, Iniesta, Xavi, Busquets, Messi, Pedro, David Villa. Now, Not bad at all. <laughs> brilliant. Not as good as the one from today clearly from an attacking point of view, but still a really, really good team. The Arsenal team that beat Barcelona that night was Chesney, Ibue, mm-hmm. Koscielny, Juru, <laughs> right. Clichy, Fabregas, Song, Nasri, uh, uh, prepubescent Jack Wilshire, Walcott and Van Persie. And then Arshavin and Bentner came on as, as substitutes. So you've got to think that the team we have now is better than the team that beat them five years ago, also bearing in mind that their team is better. Yeah, has the gap changed? Mm, That's the question, that I guess. Is, yeah. I, I mean, where... Furthermore, I, I can't find a specific question about this. If you've got one, by all means, um, reference mm. it. Where do you stand on the thing of... 
should Arsenal be, how seriously should Arsenal be taking this game given the unlikelihood of progression and their hopes of winning the Premier League? Look, on the one hand, I understand why people think like that. But on the other, I just think that if you... If you go into a game against Barcelona resigned to your fate, then the knock-on effects of that can be can be considerable as well. I think the players will look at this as a game where they really want to test themselves against the best team in Europe. Mm-hmm. That's what being in the Champions League is all about. This is why you play European football, to pitch yourselves against the best players and the best teams, and certainly Barcelona are that. The odds are against us. Nobody's arguing against that. Is going to be hugely difficult, demanding, taxing, physically exhausting, all of those things. Of course it is. But that's what that's what being at this level of football is all about. So you couldn't you couldn't even ask these players to say, hey, take it easy. You're gonna lose anyway. You might as well just save everything for Manchester United on Sunday. I just don't understand how uh, the players won't have that mindset. The manager can't possibly have that mindset. If certain sections of fans have that, I understand it because we look at it perhaps more pragmatically. We see the Premier League is a more realistic chance of a trophy for us than the Champions League, particularly as we're playing Barcelona. But I don't think you can go into this game with any other mindset, or the players won't be going into it. They'll just be thinking, okay, well, let's give 100% here and see what happens. And football is football. Strange things can happen. You just never know how it's going to pan out. And the benefits, perhaps, of winning this game against Barcelona might be tangible as well. People fear, well, what will it, what will it be if we lose? Uh, let me just see here. Somebody had uh, asked a question about that. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, Richard C. at Cazorla... Uh, Cazorla... Fuck. Cazorlaru. <laughs> Cazorlaru. Right. Um, who says, um, oh, Jesus, I'm after losing it there now. <laughs> this is a disaster. Okay, how, how worried are you that a battering from the snide diving cheats, which I assume is Barcelona, will derail slash blip our league form? I'm not worried about that at all because we're not in any great form anyway. But I do That's feel very true. I do feel that if we can play well against this Barcelona side and get a result or you know I, I don't want to say that we don't get humiliated I don't think that's the, the case at all I think there are positives that we could take from that which could uh, be a positive for our next league game and the league games to come so that's my I thinking think so. on it also I mean maybe this is me being sentimental I don't know but I'm somewhat sucked in by the pageantry and the scale of a fixture like this you yeah know, I, yeah I'm I'm really proud I suppose as a fan that we're hosting Barcelona and we're going to be facing off against Messi Neymar and Suarez and I'm going to see that spectacle unfold I think it's thrilling and you know despite our elimination uh, back in I don't know what was it 2008 something like that that 2-1 victory over Barcelona 2011 probably, 2011 sorry mm. remains probably my favourite memory of the Emirates Stadium I would say yeah uh, in all my time there, that Arshavin goal and beating that Barcelona side was a seismic moment and and actually I think for Arsenal fans is remembered far greater than what happened in the new camp because I don't know. I, I don't want to resort to cliche too much, but these are the nights and the occasions and the games that genuinely make Champions League participation worthwhile. James, and, and, yes. Let's let's remember what happened. Okay. That we were we were one nil down to Barcelona. David Villa had scored in the first half, and Van Persie scored a goal from a ridiculous angle, uh, squeezed it, it between Valdez and the near post, and then Andre Arshavin. A man who was very popular, but didn't necessarily take his football career as seriously as he should have. Certainly with the talent that he had, he should have been a much, much better player and a much more effective player. Mm -hmm. But Andre Arshavin scored a breakaway goal, then ran off with Nicholas Bentner beside him (laughs) and lifted up his shirt to reveal a T-shirt with his own face on it. I mean, mean, they're just fucking amazing. It was like a piece of performance art. (laughs) It was, I mean, the goal and the the crowd noise was amazing. It was just incredible, a really great moment. As you said, I think it's one of those moments that people remember from uh, the short history of, of the Emirates Stadium as as one of the definitive moments uh, of, mm. of Arsenal's tenure there. But let's, it was a 
it was bizarre and surreal and hilarious and amazing. And you know, would that have made would that have made the same impact if Arshavin had scored a goal against Hull in the FA Cup? No. It's because it's Barcelona, it's because this is a big huge game because they're the best team in Europe because they have this history because of the way they play football because of everything about them um, that's why it was a big moment and I think that's what the Arsenal players will be looking for tomorrow night they'll be looking for a moment like that and um we could argue, of course, that that didn't really make any great difference to us that season, uh, having having won that game. But perhaps this is a, a more mature group of players, a better group of players, and a, a group of players with more potential to go on and do something than that one. I hope so. Mm. I hope so. And, and I'm really excited about the game. Obviously, it's terrifying. But then, you know, there's a huge reward there, potentially, too. Sure. Um, so there we go. All right, okay. Well, I've got another question? Yeah, I've got another question. We'll get off the Barcelona trip for a minute. Maybe we'll come back to it before the end. Um, this is a question from Olivia Landry, who wants to know, are the ex-players who criticise Arsenal players for taking feel-good selfies out of touch, or do they have a point? And this comes in the wake of the mm. 2-1 win over Leicester, and uh, there was a group of a group shot in the uh, in the dressing room after the game. They're all standing there. Mesut Ozil's doing his weird, you know, elephant sign with his hands. They're all <laughs> looking very happy. And, you know, it's out there. It's on Twitter. It's on Instagram. You know, it, it's around. And Martin Keown wrote a, a column for the Daily Mail, I think it was, and said, oh, this would never happen in my day. We'd never take pictures. Lee so, Dixon as well and, or took took to Twitter. That's what you he? do on Twitter. You you take to Twitter, don't you? Mm. And he, he took to Twitter to say, Arsenal, uh, perhaps they should have waited until they won the league uh, before, you know, posting that sort of, letting that sort of image out of the dressing room. Mm. So what what do you make? Are they are they out of touch? Or well, his- do they have a point? My first question is, and I don't know if you all know the answer, but are Arsenal particularly guilty of this? Are the clubs doing it as much or more or less? I, I, I genuinely don't know. I've got no idea because obviously I don't follow the Same. Instagrams or the Twitters of, of other clubs or other uh, other players. I'm not interested in them. So I, I genuinely don't have any idea in that regard. I mean, it strikes me that Arsenal as a club and Arsenal players are particularly internet friendly. Now they, sure. they may not be any more or less than other clubs, but my sense is that, you know, the, we are quite internet friendly. We're out there. We're, we're ubiquitous. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe there is a touch of that, but is that relevant? I don't know. I mean, basically I, I don't really have an issue with it. It's not as if, they, I mean, I, I, I kind of found the thing, the Liverpool thing of sort of going to the cop and raising the arms aloft after a draw at home more bizarre than taking a photo celebrating a really important victory in mm. the title race. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not as if this was a routine win over a side in the relegation zone. This was a victory against the team who were top of the table, looked on course potentially to win the league, and one that kept us in that battle. I think that was something to celebrate and it's not, again, it's not as if they were sort of in a bath of champagne. They just happened to be in the dressing room having their photograph taken. I cannot possibly see how that's detrimental to performance or to our chances of actually going on to, to win the thing. So yeah. I guess it is maybe a little bit out of touch. It, it is a different era. The truth is that when Keown and Dixon were playing, the facility didn't exist to get those pictures out in that way via social media. So mm. maybe it's natural they find it a little odd, but I don't have a problem. What about you? No, it's I, it's it's generational. It's entirely to do with how you grew up and what you're used to. And uh, like you say, it wasn't there for Lee Dixon and Martin Keown. And maybe they wouldn't have been the type of people to do that anyway. But I think you have to be aware of the modern world. You have to adapt to, to what's going on. It's a bit like, you know, when you're listening to music and your parents or your mother come in and go, what's that? It's just, it's just noise. There's yeah. no music there. It just sounds like just sounds like noise. What is that? And you go, well, you know, it's, it's cool music, and they, go, ah! you know, so it's a it's a bit like that, in my opinion, um, mm. and I understand it because you know, as you get older, it becomes more and more difficult to to look at things um, outside the prism of your own experience, you know, that you prefer. You, you hear people talk about off oh, good old days of football. 
Wouldn't it be great to go back to the good old days? You think, what good old <laughs> days, really? You know, it was great to be able to go to the ground and pay two pounds to get in, but you were standing on shoddy terraces. People would piss down your legs. There was fights and violence. You know, the football was terrible. The pitches were terrible. You know, things change. Ah, the good old days. <laughs> the good old days. You know, and that's the reality of it. And we all, I think, when we, as we get older, this particular period in our lives, I think sort of 20 to 30 to sort of 35 becomes like this golden age in your life. And that's right. what you want to exist forever. But it doesn't because life moves on and people move on and technology moves on. And who knows what we'll be doing in five years time. You know, uh, so I, I can understand why they feel this is not necessarily what they would have done, but they're not footballers in the modern era. So I'm just thinking about the fact that distressingly and depressingly, I'm apparently in the golden age of my life right now. Yeah. This is what I'm going to hanker after. Oh, in yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's all downhill from. Oh, tell dear, me. Dear, dear, trust dear, dear. me, man. Trust me. Um, <laughs> I do trust you. Um, let's have another question. Okay. This is from Brendan Dean at. D to Eno, and he asks, he wants permission, he says, is it okay to be worried about Alexis's lack of form? Yes. It's perfectly okay. We didn't okay. touch on him, did we? He had a bit, of a, a bit of a funny cameo in the whole game. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see what Arsene Wenger said? It was quite interesting. He said he wasn't quite ready for this game when he was yes, talking he about the whole game. he suggested he wasn't mentally prepared, I thought. Mm. Uh, Switched but, on. Yeah, but don't worry, he'll be back for... He'll be fired up against Barcelona. I think that's that's what he said. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, he's a game based on risk, and when it's completely tuned in, it becomes dangerous. Don't worry about Tuesday. He will be tuned in. Yeah, almost implying, I don't know, Alexis's head wasn't really in the whole game. Mm. Mm. Uh, which is unusual, right? Because this is a guy who loves his football and loves, seems to love... Uh, and be focused on the the present moment whenever he plays. You know, mm. he's not someone who I would imagine being distracted that way. But I guess the Barcelona one is one that holds particular significance for him. Well, of course, yeah, playing his old club and they let him go. They binned him for um, you know for uh, for Luis Suarez. Suarez. Mm. So yeah, uh, yeah, he's going to be, gonna be quite the time to. Yeah. burst back into life. Yeah, he's going to be absolutely fired up for this one, I think. Um, I just, you know, worry a little bit that he's, in his uh, desire to make things happen, he's overlooking the simple things that he could, that he could keep the ball moving, particularly against Hull. There were a couple of times where he, uh, he, uh, you know, he could have moved the ball left and right, but instead tried a, a through pass, which was cut out. And look, that, that's fine. He's, he's, uh, he really wants to make things happen for the team, but but just be a bit more sensible sometimes. I think Arsene Wenger touched on that after the game, didn't he? He said some of our decision making in the in the final third, um, you know, could have been better. So yeah, I'm a little bit worried about it. But but if there's any game that could spark him back into life, then it's then it's got to be this one, no? Yeah, I mean, is it right to talk about? I hate I hate this phrase, but is it this second season syndrome that we're experiencing with Alexis? maybe a little bit but you know there are obviously mitigating factors and circumstances he didn't get a proper summer break he didn't get any holiday he was forced back into action way too quickly uh, I think that's had an effect on him he spent two months or two and a half months out with an injury which he you know he's, he'd never been out that long before uh, and maybe he's just you know dipped in form a little bit so it's it's hard to know you can see why it's happened but I think it's it's really important that between now and the end of the season, he gets going again because our chances of winning things with him playing like this are greatly reduced, no? Yes, mm. certainly, certainly. Um, but, I mean, yeah, <laughs> we need him We need him if we're going to beat the likes of Barcelona. Mm. Certainly, we need him at his very, very best. Okay, here's a question. Here's a question. This one comes from Tandem Felix, who's at Felix Tandem. Okay. And he wants to know... This will probably cause you a, a little bit of thinking, you know, serious question. Which Simpsons character would you like to see in the starting 11? What position and why? Oh, wow. Mm. Um, oh, which Simpsons character in the starting 11? Yeah. I guess I, I need to think about what we're, what we're missing. Yeah. Um, see, I know what I'd pick straight away. Just sprung out to me straight away. Go on. Defensive midfielder. 
There's the position. Okay, we could always do with one of those. Yep. The Who, Hank Scorpio. <laughs> the Why, okay. because basically he's got flamethrowers. That is helpful. Uh, is he going to get away with flamethrowers in the in the middle of the midfield? Or he's Hank Scorpio. What are people going to do? Yeah, exactly. He, you know, and look, he, he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. He'll tell you where to buy hammocks. Very fair point. point. Give you a great house. He will give you his moccasins if you wanted them. <laughs> fair point. I mean, I, listen, we need some cover for Francis Cochlear. Mm-hmm. That seems to make sense. Yeah. I am. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm. I've always been tempted by the idea of sticking Sideshow Bob up front, partly because I used to have his haircut, yeah. Um, but also because I feel like with that, you know, you've, you've seen the effect that Mara Fellaini's hair can have in an aerial duel. It seems to cushion the ball beautifully at times. Yeah. Imagine Sideshow Bob. I feel like he could hold it, the ball in his hair, and run along with it. He'd be do like you, a seal dribble. Do you not worry though that those big, big feet of his would cause him to be a bit ungainly? I don't, because I remember the feats of Nwankwo Kanu mm. and his size 15s. Were they actually size 15, or is that just urban legend? I don't know. There's so much myth and legend around Kanu, and I'm sort of not willing to dispel any of it. Right. It's all well, too brilliant. Well, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do oh, it. Gonna what, ask what size are Kanu's feet? Okay. This comes from kgbanswers.co.uk. Well, they, they would know. Nwanko Kanu's estimated shoe size is 15. He stands 6 foot 2 inches, only 5 inches behind giant England striker Peter Crouch. <laughs> <laughs> what a curious thing. Speaking of the Simpsons, how tall do you think Marge is with her hair? That's a really good question. Quite tall, 6 foot 4, 6 foot 5. She's got to be a giant, right? Mm. With that, with that bonce. Do you know um, who we could use? Who? Because sometimes, you know, Arsenal are accused of being a bit too predictable, right? People say, oh, Arsenal, you know how they're going to play. They pass it around, they pass it here, pass it there. What if you did something like completely out of field, out of left field, right? Now, we all know that the Arsenal medical team could use a bit of a an injection of quality, right? So Dr. Nick, Dr. Nick yes. is coming on board. I'd but like, with like Dr. Nick, you could also bring in Mr. McGregor. He's got a leg for an arm and an arm for a leg. Defenders wouldn't know what to do. That is true. That would fox everyone. Uh, I think that's great. I mean, the transfer window's shut now, sadly. Oh. And I think these guys are on pretty good contracts over at the Simpsons. I think mm. Arsenal would have to break the bank to bring them in. Yeah. But you never know. So when the summer rolls around. Yeah. Yeah. Some new I'd ideas in there, it. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Get Mix it up. Mm. Barcelona wouldn't know what hit them. <laughs> um, are we doing any more? Have you got one more? I'll have one more. Very okay. quick one, probably. All right. Um, let's have a look. Okay. Uh, yeah, all right. This is from Let's Go at Gun XRS. And they ask, who is Luis Suarez most likely to bite tomorrow? Who's the most delicious Arsenal player out there? That's a good question. Who would he bite? Um... I mean, okay. the, the realistic answer is one of Koscielny or Mertesacker, right? Because it is, because be that's who he would be, yeah. yeah. So if you had to bite one of Mertesacker or Koscielny, who would be the tastiest? I feel like Koscielny's all wiry and skin and bones. I mean, they both are, really, aren't they? Yeah. Neither's particularly sort of juicy f flesh, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look across our back four, maybe he, he might like a bit of Bellerin because he's still young and he's, he's still yeah, got that little bit of, you know, youthful... Fresh, um, padding, meat, yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas the others, Monreal, Koscielny, uh, Mertesacker, you know, they are they are quite wiry, quite stringy. He'll be gutted that Cazorla's not playing because I imagine his, he's got very forgiving flesh when you bite into it. I imagine he's a little bit softer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm literally imagining biting all the different Arsenal players now. <laughs> Going through it all, imagining that each one's got their own particular taste. Yeah. It doesn't really bear thinking about, to be honest. No, I've gone too far down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Let's hope Suarez doesn't bite anyone. No, Let's hope no, it, no, no. Let's what? hope he does. Let's hope oh. he does bite somebody in, like, the first few minutes. Okay, but let's hope everyone's had their jabs, if that's the case. Yeah, of course, of course. I'd like to see him try bite Petr Cech. That'd be good. Like, just lose well. it and try and chomp his way through Cech's helmet. Yeah, that would be good. Mm. If a referee sees it, that's fine. 
It would be difficult not to spot, to be honest, like Suarez clambering onto the back of Czech and, and you know, doing biting That's true. stuff. Yeah. Gnawing him. Yeah. Gnawing him like a little hamster. Well, well, let's hope that, that let's hope that does happen. I'm sure it will. It's Luis Suarez. Mm. I mean, he's got form. He's got history. This is what he does, apart from, like, score goals all the time. It's the two things yeah, he that does he does. Yeah, a bit of that as well, doesn't he? They're, they're two things, score goals and bite people. Yeah, yeah, and he's done a lot of scoring goals without biting anyone, so he's, he's overdue. He's due a bite. He's, he's got to be due a bite. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, well, look, let's keep fingers crossed then for tomorrow night on, on all counts that we play well, that we get a result, that Suarez returns to his chompy ways, and that uh, we have something um, fun to talk about on the Arscast on Friday. And, of course, we'll have an Arscast Extra next Monday. Lovely. Look forward to those bat-to-bat wins against Barcelona and Manchester United. Should make for a happy podcast. All right, folks. Should do. <laughs> Thanks as ever for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye.